I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. It's Thursday, January 14th, 2021 in Locked Down, Toronto. When you think of the great commentators in U.S. college basketball, the names that come to mind for me are Billy Packer, Al McGuire, Bill Raftery, and Jay Billis, who is certainly at the top of the list today. We are thrilled to be joined on the podcast by Jay, who's been a color commentator and analyst for ESPN since 1995. He played and coached at Duke University under Mike Krzyzewski and played basketball professionally in Europe. Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. How are you doing and how are you staying safe in this crazy era we're all living through? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm doing very well. Um, I'm, it's about the same as everybody else. I mean, I'm conflicted about uh, everything, uh, but trying to keep a positive attitude. I'm, I'm mostly at home and uh, like kind of around the area I live. I go out every day uh, to get a cup of coffee and to walk, or I go to hit golf balls or something like that. But other than that, I have been uh, like a retired old man, just kind of puttering around the house and uh, doing my work from here, including games. Like we're doing games now, commentating games from our home. And the truth is, like, given where we have to be during uh, when I'm on site, like we're, we're so far up and away from the court. I don't notice the difference between being at home and being in the arena. It's really kind of sad in that regard that being there is uh does not give you a feeling of of having an advantage in what you're seeing jay we got a couple of guys here who who played big time college basketball canadian guys javon shepherd at michigan andy routens at syracuse can you can you give us some some memories of watching them play in, in their college days i'm sure you must have called some of their games i don't remember either one of those guys <laughs> of course i mean both uh you know andy doesn't remember this but uh but i i was a a a teammate uh, of his dad leo who was a great player oh i remember he he, uh he preemptively told me to to be aware of the bullshit stories that you had to tell about your playing (laughs) days together in morona Well, I was a popular guy in your house when I would come over when uh, yeah. we were at Verona because I, I would always bring stuff that your mom would not allow you to have. Yep, candies, uh, et cetera. So yeah, I was I was Mr. Mr. Wonderful back then. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the best part about uh, getting older for all all of us is uh, is how good we used to be when we were playing. 
Absolutely. I think we all look back, you know, fondly on our on our playing days. And, you know, some of our fondest memories were, you know, even for us as players, you know, before we got to the arena or before we got to the dome, wherever it may be, watching you guys on college game day. Um, and that's something that we all look forward to having back. You guys are going to be back on this Saturday uh, back in Bristol. If you can talk a little bit about that, you know, just how the setup will, will just be that much different, as you alluded to, you know, working from home as opposed to being in that environment. Yeah, Andy, it's going to be really different this year because of COVID. So normally mm -hmm. we are on the road on site. And look, we were an offshoot of college game day football, which has been going on for 25 years or so. We, we, we started about 50. I think this is our 16th year of college game day basketball. And so we're, we're right down on the floor. Sometimes there are 10,000 people there. So we've had up to 22,000 in there for, mm -hmm. for a TV show. It's, it's incredible. Uh, but we like to think of ourselves as the show of record. You know, we, we frame the day in college basketball and, uh, and it's a blast to, to be on site. There's a, but it's kind of like being a player, like what people are talking about for players, about you're going to have to manufacture your own energy. Um, we're going to be in a studio this year, and I don't know how many shows I'm going to actually be with my, my teammates in studio. I'm, I'm scheduled to be on site every Saturday at our, our Saturday Prime game. And so that's going to mean I'm going to have to come in from remote um, uh, rather than having my teammates with me. I'm going to have to come in from remote while they're in the studio. So we're all going to have to adjust. Um, it's uh, it's going to be different, but different doesn't necessarily mean bad. Uh, I'm just honestly, I'm just kind of walking on eggshells a little bit. Uh, maybe you guys are the same, like you, you're, you know, you get a lockdown order or something like that. Uh, I, I, I don't see this pandemic getting any better in the short run. And, uh, and that means the only options are it stays the same or it gets worse. And, uh, and I, the way this is trending, it's going to get worse. And is basketball going to be somehow compromised given the amount of travel we have to do? I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm hopeful we'll get the season in. Uh, but the only, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's true. My best hope for the season is, is the NCAA and the schools want the money so bad, they're going to plow through no matter what. And I'm not saying they're going to put anybody's health at, at, at risk because nobody's doing that, but uh, they're going to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. I, that, that seems pretty clear from football season is we're going to do things that we wouldn't do in any other context, but we're going to do it for the money. Jay, I got, I got to ask, we're going to dive, obviously we're going to dive into some more basketball a little later, but I had a, a listener um, ask me a question or tweet a question to me to ask you. And, you know, where did you come up with this idea to, to start tweeting young Jeezy lyrics? Yeah, Javon, it was a, <laughs> it's kind of a weird deal. Like, so I'm a lot older than you guys as I'm sure you're going to either. For the either record, know, yeah, we all love it. We, we, yeah, we love either it. Know, <laughs> either know I'm a lot older, you're about to point it out. Um, so when I was, a, when I was in high school, that's when, you know, really rap music first got going. And so my teammates and I used to listen to the Sugar Hill Gang. And so Sugar every Hill practice, Gang. every practice, I'm telling you, we would sing, we would all sing Rapper's Delight. And, you know, you know, I know every word to that still because we sang it so much. And so I, I sort of, you know, developed an affinity for it, uh, for rap music and hip hop and all that and I, through college and you name it. It's not the only thing I listen to, but. Probably about 10, 12 years ago, we were in um, we were in East Lansing and we noticed that we had college game day there 
And Draymond Green was listening to some big old headphones, and we asked him what he was listening to, and he said, Young Jeezy. And Hubert Davis, who was with us at the time, he's an assistant in North Carolina now, kind of leaned over to me and said, is that on your – and this is back when, when we had iPods. And he said, is that on your iPod? And I'm like, actually, it is. And somehow, that you know, it was on the air, and somehow some people started tweeting at me, uh, come on, man, you don't listen to Young Jeezy and all that. And I said, well, I do. And I, I put lyrics out um, to kind of show, like, look, I, I you know, I, I do. And uh, and then somehow, if I remember right, it's been a long time, but if I remember right, after doing that for a while, back and forth, I actually had to go into my office, so I couldn't do it anymore. So I put down, you know, it's enough of this today, I got to go to work. And <laughs> it just kind of caught on, and I started doing it. And uh, I don't know why it, it caught on, because it's all Jeezy. And, uh, and I've recycled some because, you know, nobody can put out that much content. But um, uh, people seem to like it. So I keep doing it and I like it. It gets me up in the morning. I know that. Uh, I get up at six every morning to do it. So it's, it's kind of fun. Well, Jay, you have a legendary Twitter account um, full of the, the lyrics, uh, the got to go to work incredible insight into, into the NCAA and basketball in general. Um, I, I especially love that you have 1.9 million followers and you follow zero people. Uh, that That is just amazing. And I, I can't help but feel like we just got some exclusive content from you there, certainly in Canada. Canada now knows how the, the Jay Billis Twitter account came to be. Let, let's talk about some of the teams um, competing this year that might have a chance to get to the Final Four, assuming let's assume that the season does come off and there is a March Madness in a tournament. And I, I would just love to start with uh, Javon Shepard's old old team, Michigan, because it, it, it feels like they're a big story this year under Juwan Howard. How good do you think this Wolverines team actually is? Jay, before you start, really... they better be in your final four. <laughs> <laughs> they are now. Um, yeah, I think, I think Michigan is right there just I would say on the same tier, but maybe I would put them just a little bit a uh, little bit behind Gonzaga and Baylor. Like I, I thought at the beginning of the year and early on that Gonzaga and Baylor were sort of head and shoulders beyond everybody else, but I, I would put Michigan with them as well. Like Michigan's already done something that just it, it's never been done. They, they've beaten uh, three top 15 teams by uh, 19 or more. Um, and like, that doesn't happen. And so now is that, does that mean Michigan's <clears throat> Michigan's really good? Or does it mean some of the teams that are playing aren't as good? Maybe they're not as good as their, their rating, but you would think over the course of, of all these years that there have been rankings that somebody would have done that if it was so damn easy. Um, that, that freshman they've got the big guy, Hunter Dickinson is, is legit. Like he's the best freshman in America. He might not be the best pro prospect among freshmen because I'd put Cade Cunningham and of uh, Oklahoma State and Jalen Suggs ahead of him, maybe even Evan Mosley. But um, but I, I think he's the the most productive and he's the best college player right now uh, among freshmen. And and then I mentioned Baylor and Gonzaga. They're they're the they're the two best teams. Gonzaga is the best offensive team by a fair margin, and uh, and Baylor's the best defensive team. And then they're the best. Baylor is the only team ranked in the top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency this year, which it, you know, isn't the be all and end all, but it's a pretty good indicator that you're a damn good team. Your preseason all American list. You had Lou Garza, Jared Butler, Cade Cunningham, Garrison Brooks, Remy Martin on a short, on a very short list. 
how are these preseason All-American nominations uh, meeting your expectations thus far? And would you add or remove anybody to that list at this point in the season? Yeah, I would I would remove Garrison Brooks of North Carolina and Remy Martin of Arizona State. Not that they're not worthy of it, but they haven't played as well as other players have played. And basketball, for some reason, college basketball, because the game has changed over the last, you know, 10, 15 years with how young the games become, it's become increasingly more difficult to be able to tell before the season who's going to ball out and who's not. Like you just sometimes you just don't know how much better somebody's gotten or whether they're going to get better. And, you know, like I think Garrison Brooks is the the most interesting case. Like he hadn't played well. I think he would be the first to say that. But the, the biggest issue for him is is he's playing with three freshman guards that haven't figured it out yet. And yeah, so when you're a big guy. Yeah. When you're a big guy having to rely on on freshman guards that that aren't ready yet, they're just not ready. Um, that doesn't mean they're not going to be excellent players, but, you know, even when you played Andy, like, you know, and, and certainly when I played, um, you could have a great freshman, a McDonald's all America that didn't play much as a freshman. And, and, you know, it it was almost an expectation that not only were you going to be there for four years as a player, no matter how good you were, um, but you, you, you weren't going to, you weren't going to start as a freshman and, uh, and it, you know, it was be extraordinary for guys to put up the numbers. It, we just didn't have freshman all Americans back then. Right. And yeah, was... I remember. Yeah. Like I remember, I can't remember uh, what year it was. Oh, I know what it was. It was Anthony Davis's freshman year. So that would have been 2011, 2012. Okay. So AD's coming into Kentucky and I, I had him as uh, preseason national player of the year. And some of the old timers that I work with at ESPN were were critical of that, saying you can't put a freshman. And I'm like, he's the best player. Like I'm telling you, I may yeah. be wrong, but I guarantee you, you put a senior in there, you're likely to be as wrong as I'm likely to be as wrong. And he's going to be the number one pick. Not not maybe he's going mm-hmm. to be the number one pick. And you know, I think some of the older guys had a hard time wrapping their heads around how the sure. world had changed. You know, it was like we were, it was like, you know, you told somebody, all right, get, we're giving six-year-olds driver's licenses now, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but that's how good these players are and, yeah. and they're, they're more prepared. And, and, but the truth is guys, like if we allowed, if, if the NFL allowed their teams to draft freshmen, they would draft freshmen. They oh, would yeah. say, look, we're not, we'll, we'll train this guy, but we're not going to wait on that kind of talent. To, to spin the, you know, roll the dice or spin the wheel to see if we're going to get them later. We'll take them now. I'll take Peyton Manning unfinished and we'll take the chance to finish him because he's a transformational talent, stuff like that. That's what Absolutely. we do in basketball. And, and and it's totally different. Jay, I have watched um, really for decades, um, Duke and Kentucky put players into the NBA. And, and you talk about freshmen being drafted now and, there, there was, I feel like there was controversy, certainly at Duke, when one-and-done players started started coming into the picture. What is it about those programs that are is preparing the players for the NBA? Is it a matter of the best high school players are going to those schools? Or do those coaches and coaching staffs do something different um, that is specifically preparing players for a professional career, even in the NBA or even overseas. Okay, well, I'll I'll 
I'll answer your question by asking you guys a question. I'm not, I'm not expecting you to answer it, but just to, to contemplate it. So what NBA team or NBA coach produces the most all-star players? What high school produces the most professional players or high school coach? And the answer is nobody thinks about that, nor do we care because we realize they don't do that, that we give the player the credit for, for that. Um, all good coaches are going to help players get better. But the one thing, like college has one thing different than, than any other level, and that is they recruit. So what, what the reason that, that we're sold this bill of goods that colleges, college programs produce pros is because they want to sell us that for their recruiting. And, you know, when I was a player, a media guide was for the media. Now a media guide is for recruiting. So they have these huge sections about how many pro players they, they've produced and how much money their pro players make and all that stuff. And that's for that's for high school players to go, oh, geez, if this program's recruiting me, I must be good enough to be a pro and to attract them for what they can be afterwards and what what this program can turn them into. And going back to Anthony Davis, like, you know, Kentucky fans don't want to hear this, but it's true. Anthony Davis is going to be the first pick in the draft wherever he went. It didn't matter. And, and, you know, same thing with Tyler Hero. They, they point to Tyler Hero saying, John Calipari made Tyler Hero into a first round. No, he didn't. And by the way, like Tyler Hero has already spent far more time in the NBA with the Miami Heat than he ever spent at Kentucky. Does the Miami Heat get any credit for his development? What sure. about his high school coach? Like, where did the development start? Like, so he, he, was a, he was a piece of crap before he got to Kentucky, then first round draft pick. And that's all there is like, that doesn't make any sense. Same thing with, you know, you name it, name a player like coach. Did coach K make Kyrie Irving into an NBA all-star? He played 11 games. He was hurt the whole year. You know, it doesn't, it, none of that, none of that means anything. It, it's good coaches help you get better. But the reason that those, those programs have so many NBA players is because they recruit NBA players. And, and I'll, I'll, one last thing on, and then I'll shut up, but, like, no, did don't Dave, no, keep did going, Davidson, keep going. But did Davidson produce one, the best shooter ever in in Steph Curry? And then Bob McKillop decided, eh, I'm done. I've had enough. I don't need I don't need to produce anybody else. Like, it's not the way it works. It, it, I wish it did, but it doesn't work that way. You know, same thing. Eastern Illinois, they produced Tony Romo, but then decided, yeah, we're done. That's good enough. Uh, let's move on and just uh, we'll we'll just play. We don't need to produce anybody else. We'll just produce this one guy. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Jay, on the same token, just a just a quick question. On the same token, do you think that some of these NCAA athletes have a better chance from an NBA standpoint from a scout saying he's attached to a certain school that's almost a quote unquote feeder school to the league? Do you think he has a better chance, even if he has marginal stats? Yes, if he has a certain you know certain tools. I mean, you you still have to have NBA NBA tools, right? And and so if you don't have NBA skills, or if you don't kind of fit the suit as far as your your athletic profile right. uh, is going to match up with what other players and the you know other players of similar profile have have accomplished in the league, you know you're going to have a little bit of an uphill climb. But I'll give you an example, Andy. Like 
you know, where you went to school, Syracuse, I mean, I do think there's a knock on Syracuse players because, you, you know, Syracuse plays zone and they're going, can this guy guard in the NBA? And the answer and, is no. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know the answer to some of that, but I mean, Carmelo, Carmelo seemed to do okay. Carmelo did but, it just fine, yeah. But, but, but you know, like it's that kind of thing. Um, so there, there might be some inherent bias uh, because you've had so many players come out of a certain place that, that has more talent generally. Uh, so they'll say, well, this guy's been taught well or whatever. Uh, I think that's more around culture that, that, you know, if you have a, a pretty good culture there of a, you know, sort of a we first culture rather than catering to, you know, you produce a bunch of divas or stuff like that. Right. Um, that may be part. And if you've had a bunch of players that were highly rated and go into the league and don't do well, of course they're going to look at, look at players and go, well, the last guy, the last five guys out of there didn't do quite as well as we thought they would. So, you know, we need to be a little more skeptical. That, that's natural. I think. Hey, Jay, quick, quick question for you. Um, with all the shifts in the conferences, who would be or what conference would be your some in your power conferences right now or your top conferences? Because I, I remember looking at the Big Ten just a, a year ago, and I, I almost didn't recognize it anymore. So, um, and, and even the Big East. So, you know, considering that would be your top. Big Ten is the best conference by far this year, and, and it's really not close. My um, man. Yeah, no, but it's it's they're really good and and have so many of the best teams. Then I would say Big Twelve after that. Big Twelve's only got ten teams. The Big Ten has fourteen, uh, and then after that, you'd have to you know it's it's kind of a mishmash of of Big East, um, you know, maybe ACC, SEC, but but those those the ACC and the SEC are not as good this year, in large part because Duke and North Carolina aren't as good. Um, uh, you know, Notre Dame's not been as good in the uh, in the ACC and the SEC like Kentucky is just they're good or they can be good. They're talented. But I mean, they got their doors blown off by Alabama the other night. They started one and six and then they win a couple games and people are going, oh, you know, look how Kentucky's improving. I mean, they're OK. Now they're three and six. I think they're three and seven, uh, something like that. Maybe maybe they're four and seven. But that's not NCAA tournament stuff, and they, their schedule hasn't been that hard, where they, uh, you know, they can't they can't win games. So the the there's a lot of the, the traditional powers are not as good as they've been this year, and you know you don't see that problem in football as much because the the best football players stick around for at least three years, and so they don't have the same kind of volatility among their best teams as as we have. And some people think that's better. It, it may be better in the tournament, but it ain't better for the regular season. I know that. Uh, Jay, just heading into, you know, a couple of the big issues with the NCAA here, you know, as a public advocate for NCAA athletes receiving, you know, just and fair compensation for their name and likeness. You know, what are your thoughts on this $14 billion industry that is the, the NCAA delaying the vote to change the compensation rules? Um, are you happy that there's movement? you know, towards progress or are they still light years behind where they should be at this point? Yeah, Andy, that's a really good question. I sort of look at it uh, from its origin and say, you know, when, when they, the NCAA delayed the vote on name, image, and likeness, uh, I kind of looked at it going, all right, it's now 115 years that you've been delaying this. Yeah. So you could look at it. Well, what's another, you know, what's another six months then or another year given it's right. been a hundred, 115 years of doing absolutely nothing Incredible. Uh, for the athletes on economic rights. And you know, I'm not out there shaking my fist saying athletes should be paid. 
my thing is athletes should be allowed allowed pay. And the reasoning is it's a it's a question of fundamental fairness that every other student, literally every other student other than an athlete is allowed to earn or accept whatever they want in the marketplace based upon their their ability level. Uh, there's you know, there there are tons, countless um, non-athlete students that get full scholarships or partial scholarships and and they're allowed to earn or accept whatever they want. So the idea that, well, these players get scholarships, therefore they forfeit their ability to earn or accept anything in the marketplace is total nonsense because nobody else is under that same restriction that gets the same thing. So to me, it's not it's not what athletes get. It's what they're allowed. And they're allowed less than literally any other person in this country. And I think that's profoundly wrong to the point of being immoral when they're being used as revenue drivers for, as you, as you say, the, this multi-billion dollar industry. And so, you know, whether it's name, image or likeness, I, I've been saying, I, I stole it from Rachel Maddow, but sort of the idea of don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. And so the NCAA is talking a really good game right now, but uh, it's, I think it was October of 2019. I happened to be in the studio this, the day that they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to really move toward name, image, and likeness. And after I read what everybody said, I, I said, they're not going to do this. This is a big lie. They're lying. You know, they're going to say, they're saying they're going to do it. But what they were saying is we want to allow name, image, and likeness rights as long as it fits within the collegiate model. Right. Right. What that means is we want you to be able to eat as much cake as you want, as long as you don't ingest any sugar or gain any weight. I mean, that makes no sense. They're saying we want to allow it, but we're not going to allow it. And they keep and while they say that they're doing this, they're also petitioning the United States Supreme Court so that they don't have to do it. And they're petitioning Congress for an antitrust exemption so that they can allow certain aspects, but not anything else. They can be ultra restrictive with it to make it so it doesn't matter um, that, that it's utterly worthless to an athlete. And look, I know this. I believe all of us do that. Am you know, amateurism doesn't make an athlete a better person, a better student or a better athlete. All it does is make the people restricting that athlete richer. And, and it's an old vestige of, of old England and, uh, and, and ancient Greece, where amateurism is just a, a, a mechanism for the ultra-rich elite class not to have to compete against the common man. That's all it is. And if you look back to Wimbledon, when Wimbledon was all amateur, it was just a bunch of rich, white, handlebarred, mustachioed guys that played against each other. And didn't allow, and the common man, the unwashed masses, couldn't afford to play, and that's how it started in college sports. The Ivy League schools, the same white, handlebarred, mustachioed guys, said this game is going to be played by amateurs, which meant it's gentlemen versus gentlemen, which meant we don't want the working class to be allowed to play. That's all it was, and and so it was discriminatory from the jump. And now it's ultra discriminatory because of all the money that's being made. And they, you know, they want to make it seem like we're playing through this pandemic because we want to give the kids a chance to play. Like, sure. no, because you're not giving the kids in the drama department the chance to put on their, their productions or the kids in the, the kids in the band, you know, it's funny. The kids in the band aren't having their, you know, their performances 
um, and, and they're, they're put on, you know, on their website for everybody to partake in. Those things are canceled, man. We're playing ball because we got to make money. And, and I, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, let's admit what it is and let the players go out and, and earn what they, they can. Um, you know, so it's okay for Natalie Portman to go to Harvard and, and make millions of dollars acting while she's in school. Nobody said, Hey, you dirty professional actor, get off campus, you know, because you don't, you're not doing that for the love of, of, of the game. Uh, you know, they graded her papers and her tests the same as everybody else. It's a, really wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, that really is the the best answer I've ever heard to that question. And I, I think that is the most intellectual material we've ever had on the Gym Rats and Joints podcast. By a long shot. By, by a long shot. And we've had Leo Routens on here before. So, Jay, you win that. Um, Jay, really one more question for you, and, and then we'll let you go. I Again, assuming that there will be an NCAA tournament, there will be March Madness this year, it's scheduled to all take place in Indiana, mostly in Indianapolis. In your opinion, is that the right decision? Is it better for safety? And how will that make the tournament look for the rest of us who who love watching it so much? Yeah, Dan, it, it's it's the only option. If you, You're not going to be able to have a normal tournament where you have 13 different sites over three weeks. Uh, because, you know, all these different areas of the country are under different protocols from their health departments. So and then the idea the logistical challenge of traveling so many people uh, and teams around uh, would be would be a huge problem. The, the biggest problem with college sports right now in, in the pandemic is not that we're playing. We've shown that we can do it. The problem is we haven't had a discussion over whether we should. And, and look, I, I want to work. Um, I, I want, I want to watch basketball because I love it and I, and I'm getting paid and I still love the game. Isn't that amazing? Um, but, but the players, you know, like you want the players to be able to play and everybody wants to compete and nobody wants to pitch the season down the toilet, but these are institutions of higher learning that claim they have a responsibility to the community that goes beyond, uh, you know, putting on, entertainment events which is all which is really what these things are and we've not asked like in football you know i knew we were going to plow through the football season and put our head down and get through it no matter what no matter what basketball i'm not as confident but i still think we're going to do it and uh, and we're going to get through it to the tournament but in football the, those every football game that was put up uh on television um was a was something that encouraged people to get together to consume the product. So they, not, they might not be in the stadium, but they were getting together to watch the games. And those were, I don't think college sports can say with a straight face that, that, that the fact that we put on those events did not significantly contribute to community spread around the country. Of course it did. Now, maybe that's not wrong, but maybe it is. And then early on in the pandemic, we said, the NCAA said, and by NCAA, I mean not just the office in Indianapolis, but all the member institutions. They said, no students on campus, no college sports. And what do we have? We have no students on campus, and man, we are playing. And then we said, no bubbles. We cannot have players in bubbles and play in bubbles like the NBA. We're amateur. And we've got bubbles. We've got players living in complete and total isolation. And the NCAA tournament is going to be played in a bubble. 
And, and so everything we have said, it's kind of like going back to don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. Cause they said, we're not doing any of this and we're doing it. And so do I think it's craven? No. I mean, I think it's business, but do I, do I think we are hypocrite? The NCAA has been hypocritical, contradictory to the point of hypocritical. You're damn right. I do. And, and we've not had a national discussion about whether we should do this. Not whether we can, but whether we should. And what message are we sending to people out there that all these institutions are saying, okay, we're going to send you a message that things are, are close to normal and you can go about, you know, kind of normalcy. Um, the, the government says don't travel and we're traveling all over the country to play games. Government said, don't, please don't travel unless it's essential. So what we're saying is these players are really essential workers and they're, they're essential workers to this business. And, uh, and, you know, I, I think we're, I think we're missing the mark on a lot of things here and, and we're going to have to answer for it later on. And we don't yet know, like, look, it's easy to say, Hey, you know, there aren't a lot of hospitalizations among players and coaches and all that stuff. We don't know what the long-term effects of this are. We don't know. And, and thank goodness that, that Keontae Johnson of Florida you know, that the, that the outcome there was not worse. I mean, that was pretty scary. And, uh, and I hope that's the last time we have to deal with this, but, but, uh, you know, heart issues and all these different things, you know, the, nobody in the college space can tell you, yep, those aren't issues long-term. We, we don't know that. So saying, I don't know that much gives me a little bit of pause, but, uh, but I'm not making these decisions. They are. Well, Andy Shep, I don't know about you guys, but I could listen to Jay Billis talk about college basketball all day, twice on Sunday. Jay, we are so lucky you joined us today. We are grateful that you took the time. Seriously, thank you so much. No, it's thank my you, pleasure. Jay. We appreciate it. Anytime, you guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate, appreciate you, Jay. You. Hope to see you up in Toronto sometime. I hope so, too. I was there two years ago uh, yes. with that Zion <laughs> Williamson trip. We had a blast. Good. Glad to hear and that. Welcome yeah. back anytime. We'll host you. And, and best of luck with with, uh, with uh, College Hoops on Saturday. That's the deal. Thank you, guys. Maybe yeah, Wired, good to see you, brother. Maybe Wired, see you. Can be Duke. Duke. All right. Thanks, Dan. Good you. All right. Care. Jay, thank you so much. Uh, that was uh, the amazing ESPN color commentator, Jay Billis. Uh, let's shout Honestly, out our- I don't know about you guys, but I just feel smarter right now. Oh, I feel absolutely. like I listened to a podcast. That was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. He, he must have his own podcast or I don't know. He's got to go. We got to go to work too. Let's shout out our sponsor, Henderson Brewery in Toronto. The best beer is the beer you love. Now I'm going to do this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. Uh, Hashtag T-D-I-T-R-H. This date in Toronto Raptors history. We're going back 11 years, January 15th, 2010, Madison Square Garden in New York City. Andrea Bargnani goes off for a 24-12 double-double, and the Raptors beat the Knicks 112-104. This puts the Raptors at 20-20 and on the season with things looking good for a playoff spot under head coach Jay Triano, who we all know well. Unfortunately, at the end of the year, the Raptors would fall just short of that goal, uh, losing on the final day of the season. Um, and Derek Rose and the Chicago Bulls would end up getting the eighth seed in the East. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, let's get to the Raptors today, the NBA today. Yesterday was an insane day. The, the, the news of the James Harden deal um, I think we'll get to that, but I, I think we should start with the Raptors. Two heartbreaking losses out west. They're trailing at Golden State. They come back. Um, looks like they're going to win it, and then they they drop the game by a point. Portland, they're leading the whole way, and then Portland comes back in the fourth, and Portland wins by a point. Guys, the Raptors are two and eight. Shep, you're the general manager. Is it time to make moves? I think you know you're not going to have a clear picture with one, the Raptors. We see that they had a rocky step, but you're also looking at the games that they've lost outside of the opening, uh, the season opener against New Orleans. They've lost the other six games by an average of about six points. Right. And, you know, a couple of those games, you know, a ball goes the other way or, you know, Pascal was able to close and he had the ball in his hands from that. I think three, three out of four of those um, games and you're able to close them out, you're looking at a, a completely different conversation. Uh, so I think you still have to give it some time. I mean, you, you don't want to wait too long until you're midseason and, you know, your back's against the wall or you're, you're in a position of, of tanking or, you know, looking towards the draft. But I think, you know, you over this next stretch, they come home for a bit now uh, or, quote-unquote, Tampa home Tampa. Uh, for a, a little stretch here uh, coming off that West Coast swing. And I think, you know, most importantly over that swing is guys are isolated. So they're able to build a bit more chemistry um, as this new as this new unit. And you're you're able to see that. I think they, that team did show some improvements over those that stretch there. They just weren't able to close. Do you make some changes right now? I mean, James Harden's off of the table. So there is no there's no game changer or anybody that's gonna really turn around your franchise right now. Uh, you, you weigh it out, and this team, they've gotten a lot better. They're playing a bit more intense, and I think they're re-identifying how they have to play and how they have to win. Um, it's just about closing right now. And I think Pascal, is, is, is he's learning. He's learning it over the last couple of games. Um, he's had the ball in his hands. He just hasn't been able to pull it out, and, and at some point, you know, that monk is going to be off his back. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a really tough position to be in, you know, from the managerial side for the Raptors. I mean, you have bright spots. You have Chris Boucher's coming out party. You know, you see him playing well and stepping in at center. You have Fred Van Vliet playing like an all-star. Um, Pascal is is finally starting to to shake the cobwebs out. and He's starting to come around and, and, and be that player that we all thought and hoped that he would be, you know, despite missing a couple game winners. Uh, you know, if he can put that away and ride that confidence high, I think they're going to be a different team. Um, you know, they got Charlotte coming up, who who isn't the strongest you know, competition in the East. So that could be uh, a nice little uh, confidence booster for them as well. They are competitive. Like I said last week, that was one of the teams that I was really watching. You know, LaMelo is, is, is playing as about as impressive as any rookie is right now. And the way they move the ball and Gordon Hayward's, you know, back from his, his, his previous 
uh, self before injury. So it, it, they're an exciting team to watch. But, you know, with the Raptors' momentum right now, hopefully they can get a win over a good team and, and, and carry that pace. But, um, you know, I, it's tough to say because, you know, if I'm, if I'm the Raptors right now, I still don't have that playmaker that guy you want to go to at the end of the game. Um, and I'm looking at Brad Beal heavily right now, you know, in a situation in Washington where, you know, Scott Brooks is on the hot seat, you know, Russ is going to be out for the next three or four weeks. I'm looking to see what I can do with those pieces now that James Harden is off the table. And he's a guy that I feel like could complement a team much better than James Harden would. I would almost not even look at that James Harden situation, even though it was available because you'd have to give up the house and then some. Okay, uh, guys, I, I think your 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 basketball instincts are on on cue as always. I just think that we have to with the Raptors have to start looking big picture now. They're two in um, a win in January against Charlotte. Whether they win or lose the game, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think we can be talking about things like gaining momentum and picking up speed. And and here's why. The rest of the conference is so much better. The East is so much more competitive than it really has been in years. You know, say what we want about Harden and Kyrie for that matter, but they the Nets have so much talent. You know, the only question is, is there enough basketball to go around? Um, the Bucks are starting to gel, and they have Antetokounmpo. The Celtics have Tatum and Brown. The 76ers, um, who are... Uh, they were in first place at points last week. I don't know where they are now because they've had some issues with um, with COVID protocols. But, you know, Embiid is on an MVP pace. Indiana seems like they're much better. And, Andy, you brought up Sabonis last week or a couple weeks ago. He's in the MVP consideration. Double, these, double. Are, these are five teams right now who are so far ahead of the Raptors. A Bradley Beal trade to Toronto? I mean, how does that even make sense? I think you know he doesn't want to come here, and and it, what are you giving up to get him? And what what do you actually think you're going to accomplish out of this season? At this point, the East is so loaded and competitive. You really have to start considering emptying the clip, trading Kyle Lowry, and loading up on draft picks. Okay, so I'll say this. If you're looking at if you're looking at the standings right now, the Raptors are three games out of the A spot. That's just three games. As poorly as they've started, it's it's only three games. Now I understand everything that you are saying, but when you look at um you know how the season's being played, it's not your it's not your you know, your traditional season where, you know, these teams have their roster and only missing guys by injury. There's a lot there's a lot of variables right now. When when guys are sitting on KD just missed um, four games for, for COVID protocol. There's going to be a lot more of that over the, the course of the season. So, you know, when you factor that in, there's going to be a game or two where the Raptors can can sneak in and, and, and get a win on some teams. Um, that's going to help them, right? Help help them with being, to make the playoffs? To make the playoffs. That being said, you don't throw in the towel yet because this is not your conventional season and, it, you know, things can change at any moment. And remember, we're in a season where these guys are playing you know, these teams are playing two, three, sometimes even four games for the week. One guy sitting out changes the whole dynamic of your team. And, you know, you're sitting out for seven days or however long it is. You miss those four games. That can be a turnaround for your team. If you're looking at a team like Cleveland that was just a couple of days ago, they were atop the East. 
They've gone on a, on a losing streak since. They're they're but on the outside was, looking in. That was predictable. I, people were talking at the was start. Was it really? About was it really? The, the, the Cavs not staying in first place? Yes. But it that, just goes to show you how fast <laughs> things can switch. But some teams who hadn't played a lot of games got off to quick starts. They haven't they haven't played since March. But I, I don't think the Cavs are are a great example of what can happen. That people thought the Raptors were going to win fifty games in this in the seventy two game schedule. The the five teams I mentioned just are. I, I don't know, Shep. Like, what's what's the point of getting into the playoffs and losing to Philadelphia in the first round, and then Lowry leaves as a free agent? I guess that would be the same. So, what's the solution? Same. They just pack up and go home for the season, eh? I'm not saying pack up and go home, but you start making moves, eyeballing the future. Get let's let's see the Raptors start building through the draft. It, it used to be their strength. You know, you've had four top-level free agents walk out the door with no um, nothing coming back, no compensation for Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Serge Ibaka, and Marcus All. Those are frontline NBA players, even at their whatever stage of their career they're at. Nothing came back. So the best way to plan for the future is to stockpile assets that are draft picks and young players and one way to do that is to use veteran assets to get to stockpile draft picks, like Oklahoma City Thunder has done. They 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 never packed up on the season, but they moved veteran contracts to make room for draft picks and young players for the future. So Brooklyn gave up their entire stockpile of draft picks for the next eight years, and they front loaded with some of the top talent in the NBA. Now. Mind you, I don't think the Raptors have the tools or the pieces to trade for pieces like that. But at the end of the day, they're betting on themselves in the now. And it's tough to say that the Raptors should do that, given the, given the situation that they're in. Uh, but I do believe it's worth vetting out to try to salvage the season, given the fact that they did and they are still fresh off that championship run. Um, I think it would be tough to kind of just go back into a rebuilding phase after reaching the pinnacle you know, that's something that they aspired to do for, you know, the 20 years since their inauguration. So it's a really tough position. Like we said, man, from a managerial side is, is really, do you blow it up or do you, or do you try to salvage this thing? And I don't think there's a definite answer. I think there's, there's no, there's no way to, to, to vet this out at this point in time. And, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what Bobby MSI have up their sleeves. Cause I don't, I don't doubt that they have something up their sleeve. I, I don't know. I, I, I think they're, um, I don't know if they're a deer in the headlights right now, but at some point you have to go forward with the plan. And and like I said, I don't think that the young I think, I think if you want a championship with these guys, you also give them an opportunity to compete. I come from a background of, of yeah, but, competing. Oh, but, so. Shep, but Shep, you won the championship. That's, that's two years ago. That is ancient history in the NBA right now. And you won it with four veteran, proven, battle-tested veterans who just are, you know, we're, we're better players than what you have right now. Like, Pascal Siakam is not Kobe Bryant. He's not Kawhi Leonard. He's a wonderful player. He's an all-star. But why are we looking at him as someone who can lead a team to the championship. I, I think it's time to get. I think we are. I think that's what everybody. <laughs> but, <laughs> We're not. You're talking about they're, they're in the, the, 
back, you know, the championship was really just 18 months ago. So if we're looking at that as a championship team or not, do you want to be a mediocre team? Do you want to be a team that finishes seventh or eighth in the East every year? Or do you want to reset and put yourself back in a position to compete for the championship maybe in three to five years? To me, that to me, that's what the question is. And, and pretty soon they're going to have to decide, or maybe it will be decided for them. Because if you get to the 20 game mark at this win percentage, if you're four and 16 or five and 15, I think it, that maybe it, it's that point where reality is going to kick in. I, I just think the biggest problem is that the rest of the East is really good, really hungry, and everybody feels like the East is wide open. And I, I don't know that the Raptors can compete with those those top five teams right now. You know, why don't um why don't we move on to the Harden trade, guys? I was in my car. I was actually listening to. Sirius XM radio and it dropped during our friend Eddie Johnson's show. And so my, my first, my first thoughts to, uh, to what I heard was, was what EJ had to say. Um, Andy, what, what was your first reaction to this four, tr- four team blockbuster that puts Harden in Brooklyn? Put your, turn on your mic. Yeah, the, the, these are the COVID issues that we deal with here on a day to day. No, I, I mean I'm a little bit taken aback by it. You know, the, this this one individual changed the entire landscape of the NBA, and you know I think I have a huge gripe with the power that the players have today. You know, given that this is where the NBA is going, um, I think you know LeBron more or less started this trend where he became more or less a GM, uh, you know, player. Um, but to give a player you know, the power to opt out of a, a situation when he signed on and you're paying him hundreds of millions of dollars to me to up and leave, not only to leave in an unprofessional way, but to do it, you know, putting your teammates to the side, not coming to training camp, uh, you know, talking, talking about them publicly uh, after games and not giving your best effort. To me, that's unacceptable. And, and, and to force your way out of a situation like that is the epitome of unprofessionalism. Um, now I will say Brooklyn immediately became a contender. I think they're going to be super fun to watch. Obviously, Katie and, and, and James have that relationship since Oklahoma City. Um, I know they gel well together, but you know you leave a situation in Houston where you've brought stars before. You brought Russ. You brought you brought CP3, and you've proven that you can't play alongside stars. So now you're playing against two of the top stars in the NBA. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic goes. There's going to be in basketball to go around for them. I don't think so. You have three of the top five players in the NBA right now on one team. Um, there's not going to be enough basketball. And already, you know, each one of them wants to be the alpha. I think, you know, with Harden coming into this situation, he would have to understand I, I'm going to have to compromise or take a back seat at some, at some capacity. And, you know, where Kyrie's concerned, who knows where he even is. But um, that's here nor there. And I think when you're, you know, these guys are getting paid 30, 40 million a season um, to perform, not only perform, but to be professionals, I, I just don't like how how Harden handled the situation because, you know, DeMarcus ironically um, said it best being the mature person he is and how, um, you know, his Harden's problem is with the front office, not with the other 14 guys in the locker room. And, and you know, I, I felt that I was, I was, I was 
sitting here and wondering how a John Wall would have felt and a DeMarcus have felt because these guys came back. These are star-level guys, you know, high-level elite guys that have come back from injury and hungry and ready to play and ready to compete. I think they actually had a really good team over there to do that, do some do some things. Um, but as far as, you know, what's going to you know, transpire in, in Brooklyn, it's going to be interesting. I don't think they're talent-wise, yeah, they're a shoe-in to, to come out of the East. But, you know, what do you do with your bench right now? And at the same time, you need guys that are going to be able to defend. You need guys that are going to do the dirty work. And each of these guys, you know, too high of talent, too big of stars um, to really do that. And then at the end of the day, you know, who who takes the last shot? And that that's a big concern, too, because they're going to get up into – you know, playoff basketball and so forth, you know, drawing up a play and then somebody following through or not following through with the play and taking the last shot can be a win or a loss. That could be a disaster. Yeah. Right. All I know is that if I'm Jared Allen, I'm pissed. I mean, you just get thrown to the deal and you're in Cleveland the next day. I mean, I spent, we were seeing a guy really blossom into one of the most prominent centers in the league. And, and he's kind of that old school center mentality where, you know, he's blocking shots. You know, he doesn't command the ball. You know, he's giving you everything he has, kind of like that 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 quarterback on defense, if you will. Um, but I am excited to see Karis LeVert in the new market. I think that he's really going to spread his wings. He's proven what he can do when Kyrie and Katie aren't available. Um, and, and the fact that Victor is out and he's now in, in, in Houston, I think he's really going to spread his wings and, and, and have a nice little one-two combo with, with Sabonis there. See, and the funny thing was, I always thought that Karis could be that third piece that this team – yeah, you know, had been searching for for since yeah. the off season. So it's strange. It's tough. You know, I, tough situation for everybody. But you, like you said, he he has opportunity now to flourish and really um, spread his wings. To me, it looks like all the teams got a little bit better. Um, I do think Houston's in a nice situation now. Now you have John Wall, Victor Oladipo, Demarcus Cousins. That sounds like a pretty competitive lineup to me in in the West. And even you know, if Harden comes back at at full percent at the at the start of the year, they would have been right in the mix as always. Uh, I agree with you, Levert going to Indiana. I, I think that makes them. Um, I don't know if that he's better than Oladipo, but he's definitely a pure scorer, and he's hungry. And Oladipo was kind of unhappy there. I just I can't help but feel that. Brooklyn is the presumptive favorite. You you mentioned it. Uh, I can't remember which one of you said it, but based on talent alone, they come out of the East. But, you know, you you guys are the ones who played. I, I don't understand why there's an issue who gets the shot at the end of the game. There's 72 regular season games. There could be up to like 24, 28 playoff games. Sometimes... One guy's a decoy. Sometimes Kyrie takes a shot. Sometimes Harden takes a shot. The The object is to win the game. You can't double team anybody now. So at the end of the game, one of those three guys is going to have a pretty easy one-on-one coverage trying to stop them from making a game-winning shot. I, I think in those in those scenarios, Brooklyn should win close games more than anyone. But I guess the bigger issue is the mentality of the players, especially Kyrie, who, you know, it came out yesterday, maybe has some issues that he didn't have a say in who was named the head coach. Then there's some film of him not wearing a mask at a party and then having to miss games for protocol. I mean, I I think Harden and Durant back together is a nice story, but Kyrie is maybe 
the bigger concern with what's happening with the Nets. It is. I mean, he's you know he signed a big contract on, and even since then he played just over twenty games. I think you know where Kyrie's concerned. That's always going to be the reservation: is how engaged is he? Um, you know, obviously he's he's been injury prone as well. So you know, with him, it's tough because he's what he's probably the best point guard in the league, and and on any other team, he would be the cornerstone to that team and, and be able to you know turn that turn turn the organization around. So. When you got, when you have a guy with that level of talent, there's you sacrifice a bit with them and you, you may compromise. But um, you know now it's it's becoming a bigger distraction to the team because you're not showing up, right? So we're not even getting half of your talent. We're we're not getting anything, as well as you know in a case like this, still don't know when you'll be showing back up to or reporting back to the team. So I think you know where he's concerned. It's it's there's a lot of things that you have to weigh in and and take into account, and it's gonna be it's gonna be distracting. I mean, maybe I could understand this if it was an NBA free agency situation where he's not reporting to camp until he gets a deal done. But he has a deal done, and he has guys that are counting on him, and he has coaches that expect him to come in and do his job. And I understand that you're a guy that will do anything for social reform, but there's also guys out there who are setting the bar for that, like LeBron. LeBron is using his platform for social reform while, while showing up and doing his job. And I think he really sets the bar. You know, a guy who really kind of slandered LeBron at the beginning of the season, I think he could take a few notes out of his book and really understand how to do it the right way. And, I, and I'm in agreement with Stephen A. Smith, who said he should retire because it doesn't seem like basketball. It doesn't seem like he loves basketball. It doesn't seem like a priority for him. Yeah. And, and, and if you're a guy who just likes to play because you're good at it and because you make a lot of money, you know, you're in the wrong industry. I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking you because I would love to make $100, $100 million doing you know, something that I kind of like to do. But at the end of the day, you have a responsibility as a player, not only to your team, you know, not only to your coaching staff, but to yourself. And and I don't think he's abiding by any of that. And you know what, to, to tag on to what you're saying, Aaron, I, he is, you know, heavily involved in, in social reform or so to say, but I think mm-hmm. where this is concerned, he, you need to be deliberate. If that's, if that's yes. the agenda, then be clear with that and then use this platform, use this space um, you know, to to send that message and and right, right now, it's, it's unclear as to what. Yeah, nobody should be in. guessing what, yeah. what what your aim or your goal is at this point. Yeah, yeah. I I am looking at the Kyrie situation and I just my arms are up in the air, man. I'm like the guy does not seem like he wants to play. No matter where he goes, it's the same issues. It was the same issues in Boston. It's the same issues now in Brooklyn. And it's just too bad because he is such an amazing player. Um, it, it's, it, it's, sad. It's, it's sad. It's sad to see. It's sad to see one of the great talents in the game just be it's, I don't so mean to cut you off, but I do want – it did bring one thing to my attention. It's just that just goes to show how much – how great of a leader LeBron is because mm. with LeBron, he was able to excel and – as a team, they were able to, you know, to accomplish a, champ- a championship. So with, with that in mind, it's, you know, sometimes people bash LeBron and, and critique him for, you know, various things and have different conversations. But I will say this experience and seeing what's transpired here, seeing what goes on with, with what's happened with Kyrie on at every level that he's played at or every step of the way, it just really goes to show um, the commitment and the leadership from, from LeBron. And that was actually something that he had reached out or even said in the media that he respects 
um, LeBron, once he had left, respect the leader that LeBron was and appreciated it later. So um, that says a lot. Yeah, I mean, bashing LeBron is senseless to me. I mean, he is absolutely one of the greatest players of all time, one of the great leaders. And other than that, I think that one week, one year, he took a week off and went to Miami for a little midseason holiday. He has shown up literally for every game, and he still is now. So, you know, one one thing, Andy, I want to throw this on you. You know, you, you talked about how the players are kind of shaping rosters, or they, they shape how they make their moves. I, I can't help but feel like Harden forcing his way out of Houston kind of gave me some some echoes of Vince Carter leaving Toronto, mm. you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. I mean, he his numbers dropped dramatically. You could tell he wasn't contributing as much. P- stories were leaked to a, to a newspaper writer in Toronto. Vince wants a trade. I mean, I, I do feel like this has been going on for, for quite some time. To be fair, there was a point where Kobe Bryant tried to force a trade from the Lakers. Um, you know, that, that didn't happen, but I, you know, I, I think I think we've seen this. Guys sign the big contracts, but then something goes wrong, something doesn't go their way, and they want to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does bring back, you know, memories of that Vince situation. And, and ultimately, I think it was a, a decision that he regretted making. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think that, you know, organizations just continue to have less and less power. I think this the generation that we live in of, of social media and, you know, guys really understanding – not only how to use their platform for good, but how to push their own agendas. I think there's, they're a smarter generation of, of athletes in terms of understanding their brand and then how to push that. And it's really unfortunate because it's taking away from the game. It's taking away from the purity of basketball. It's turning it into, you know, moguls as opposed to NBA champions and people you can look up to. It's becoming a rat race to chase the biggest bag wherever I can be the happiest at. And to me, it's nonsensical. It, it, it's turning into a reality TV show as opposed to, you know, what we grew up on, which was which was basketball and, and being a fan of the game and, and teams as opposed to individuals who, you know, who got the swaggiest fit before the game now, because that's really what it's all about. Um, and, and it's 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 super unfortunate. But but you're right. There have been shades of it in the past. I just think it's it's more than obvious now, you know, where, where the direction of the league is headed. And, you know, I think that Adam Silver, you know, he has to bring back some of that power that, you know, he vetoed that trade with, with CP3 to LA. I think he has to bring back some of that juice that the NBA had to keep everything fair and level. That's just my personal opinion. That's it. That's interesting to me. I, I don't know. I don't know. If, uh, the whole world wants to see the owners taking back too much control either. Um, guys, let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, wonderful talking basketball with you and with our special guest, Jay Billis. Uh, a reminder, our podcast is on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Rats podcast. Um, also check out the Ottawa Blackjacks, the team being run by Shep and Andy and the CEBL. Um, again, thanks to Jay Billis from ESPN for joining us. Super extraordinary thanks to our producer, Mr. Dan Wong. Check him out on Twitter at D- Dan Wong Says. That's Dan Wong, S-E-Z. Um, so for Andy, for Shep, uh, this is Dan Gladman. Thank you for listening to Jim Rats and Joints, and we will be back 
with yet another episode next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.